0: morning. Great to lift our voices to the Lord, isn't it? Great to sing together, using the same words, combining our voices together, singing in unison. Just great to lift our hearts to God. I uh, want to thank everyone as we've been gone. want to thank you for your prayers for Carmen. She had a bout with pneumonia while we were gone, while we were out of town, and she's still kind of on her breathing machine for a little while, she's, she's made great improvement, but we thank you for your prayers. Uh, I wanna thank also, you know, everyone who filled in for us while we were gone, thanks Brian, and I wanna thank Adrian for filling the pulpit, they're always so willing, and so it's just great to have them to step in when we need to. Now, today we want to uh, talk about a problem or talk about facing church problems with God's wisdom. And we want to learn a lesson from the early church and how it happened there. Now, you know that we've been in the Book of Acts last several weeks. And the reason we went to the Book of Acts is because we're kind of reorganizing our ministries here, trying to you know shore them up, get them better filled, that sort of thing. And so we thought the Book of Acts would be a good uh, you know Bible book to go through in order to see how things were started, in order to see how things were organized. And it's quite... Uh, an act, it's, it's quite a book with uh, some very interesting stories on what they had to go through in order to start the church. Uh, it deals with the forming of the church of Jesus Christ upon his ascension into heaven, which followed his resurrection from the dead. And we felt like it could be helpful for us, like I said. And in the book of Acts, we read how Jesus sent the Holy Spirit after his ascension to heaven, as his apostles just kind of stared at him as he rose up, said the clouds received him into the air. And he said he was going to send them the Holy Spirit. And he sent him during that first year, weeks later, during the Jewish feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of three Jewish feasts that all Jewish men were obligated to go to and so that meant that there was going to be all kinds of people there in Jerusalem at this time because the men were required to go and of course families would come with them so there's going to be a lot of people there in Jerusalem during this time and that's when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon his believers his apostles and maybe some others in the room as they were praying. And they did not know he was coming at that time, but he just came and they could look at each other. First there was this violent wind, then there were these flames, these little tongues of flames resting upon each believer there that were praying. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out of that room to all the people And they spoke the wonders of God to all the people there. Now, the the wild thing was there were people there from like 14 different countries in that part of the world. And they spoke well, they listed 14 different languages that they were using, or that people knew who were coming in. And these disciples, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they went out and they preached Jesus Christ and the wonders of God to these people in their own native languages, which the apostles didn't know. And so that was a miracle of God, and the people there were just amazed. How can these people know our languages? They're all from here. And so in that day, and then as Peter spoke to the people, 3,000 people turned to Christ that day. 3,000 Jewish people who were there for the Feast of Pentecost. Now, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we see people turning to the Lord through different things at, at the early days of the church. We see Jewish religious becoming very jealous, hurting the disciples, hating the disciples, beating them, imprisoning them. Yet the gospel message keeps being presented, keeps spreading. And then there, the first day, there were 3,000 people that became Christians. And in in the next few weeks, it turned to 5,000 people who had become Christians. But not only does it grow to 5,000, but the believers kept gathering daily for prayer and teaching. And in that time, all of the believers just took care of one another. They were just there together, and they were going to help one another. Those who have took care of those who didn't have. It's the early church living as true followers of Christ, loving each other, caring for each other, serving the Lord by serving their fellow people. But this morning we're going to see something not so wonderful happen in the early church. And you might be surprised to know that sometimes things not so wonderful happen in churches today. But it it wasn't like the worst thing that could happen, but it was something that could easily lead to resentment in the early church, resentment and division, and it had threatened to destroy the unity. So we want to see how that was handled, because it was handled in a very good way. I want you to look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And, of course, we can always get Uh, We can always learn something from the ways that these things were handled. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, we know it already increased. It started at 3,000 on the Feast of Pentecost. It moved to 5,000 throughout the next couple of weeks. And here we're we're on beyond that a little ways. And it says it was increasing here. So it's it's past 5,000. It says, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the complaint is the Hellenistic Jewish widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. The Hellenistic Jews were Jews that were more into the Greek culture. They lived outside of the area of Jerusalem and Judea. And so they probably spoke Greek and they did Greek customs and ate the Greek food and all that kind of stuff while, they held, while the Hebraic Jews were living in Jerusalem or in, the area, in that area. And they probably spoke Aramaic or even uh, Hebrew. <clears throat> and so they lived a Hebrew culture. While these others lived a Greek culture. So the complaint is that the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked and probably because the ones who were passing out the food were probably you know uh, Hebraic Jews and it's just kinda like things just kept going on before the Hellenistic Jews came to join them. We aren't told exactly why this was happening but we can sure see how it could cause serious problems in the young church. You know, the church was going so great, and all of a sudden this comes in. And you know, that's what happens, isn't it? It happens that when things are going well, you know, sometimes something just, just comes down into the church and you have to deal with it. It usually doesn't take much for different ethnicities to get suspicious of one another, does it? You have the Hebraic Jews, and you have the Hellenistic Jews. They live differently. They speak different languages. They eat different foods, all of this. And they're kind of living together. And it's already, you know, there's maybe not that much of a a unity there. So then this happens, and we don't know why it happened exactly. It doesn't say, but it was something that could cause real problems. And so it's a threat of disunity and resentment. It could really damage the church's reputation. It could really turn people away from the church. Now, you know, I believe any time we face a problem in the church, the best thing that anyone can do at the very outset of the problem, the number one thing, is to stay calm. Even if it means staying silent at first. I think the best thing is to step back, either figuratively or and literally, take a deep breath, ask God for help, a short, quick prayer, and don't just spout off. We don't want to make accusations right away, do we? And we know that sometimes innocent mistakes can turn into serious divisions and conflicts. And we also know that Satan is always ready to to take advantage of opportunities that can turn into Christians kind of facing against each other. So I think the first point is no hasty responses. Try not to get defensive, even if you're accused of something. Be aware that we're not trying to give Satan a foothold, or we're trying not to give him a foothold. Of course, I'm speaking to myself. Some people are more prone to say something quick, and others are more prone to hold back. I think it's good just to stay calm. And what we actually need are calm words and thinking. And it just so happens that's what we get here in this passage. In verses 2 through 4, the, the apostles step in. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So they're saying, it shouldn't be us that will take on this ministry and actually do it ourselves. Because you know they have this ministry of teaching the word of God. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they first got everyone together. They they gathered them all together. And I think that has an advantage if you can do it that way. Because everyone hears the apostles' uh, suggestion, uh, reasoning firsthand, and that could help a lot of avoiding to avoid misunderstandings that come from when you only hear it second, third, or fourth hand. But did you see what the apostles said to the believers? First of all, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. The very first thing that they did was they wanted to protect the ministry of the Word of God. They didn't want anything, whatever they were going to do to solve this problem, they didn't want it to just hurt the ministry of the Word of God. Now, you know, Seeing that the widows, the the Hellenistic widows, would get their food, of course, is extremely important. They have to have their food. But it just shows you how important the ministry of the Word of God is, that they're saying, we can't do this because we have the ministry of the Word of God. You know, Laura and I uh, were talking recently on how fortunate we were to get into the group that we got into when I first became a Christian and she was a young Christian we were with this group of people our age and we had already kind of known them and they were meeting already for witnessing to people and reading the Bible and and singing together and I was totally influenced by these people because I had left all my other friends and these were my friends now and they were walking along in the Christian faith and I had just entered into it and they emphasized the word of God all the time and we had bible studies and we sang together and it was just a whole different world for me but that's what I was brought into and that's was my foundation in the Christian faith and Laura and I've been talking about how precious that was and how thankful we are that that's what we got into you know, a lot of people come to Christ and they just kind of stay doing what they were doing when they came to Christ. And some people don't have a, of a choice like, uh, you know, uh, the option. But at that time in my life, I was able to just move over to this whole group of friends, this whole new group of friends doing completely different things than I did. And having that word of God, you know, as the foundation and having a, you know, just a constant diet of the Word of God and talking about the Word of God just made a total difference in my life and in the lives of the people there. And the apostles are saying that however they handle this food matter, they, they can't let it you know, move the apostles away from their main ministry of ministering the Word. And you know, reading the Bible... Isn't just finding this verse to answer this question or that verse to answer that question. It's not just finding one thing to deal with this, another thing to deal with this. Reading the Bible is becoming familiar with what the Bible is all about. It's a whole different culture. You kind of got to get into it and understand what was going on in that time. And you will if you just keep reading it. You enter into their world, and you see how, how things mattered to them and, and how they dealt with things and how God moved them. And it wasn't just easy. Many people think, I kind of thought this, <clears throat> that everything in the Bible, I thought the Bible was just full of holy sentences, and it just told you what not to do, and what to quit doing, and why you shouldn't do it, and things like that. That's all that I well, I thought I knew, but it wasn't that. But it, it's, it's stories of people going through things, making mistakes, getting clobbered, uh, all kinds of things that you can't even imagine that would be in the Bible. That's the way it was for me. I, I learned what the Bible was all about for the first time. And I had gone to a religious school all through my education. I didn't know what the Bible was about. But the apostles are saying that no matter how they handle this, they can't let the word, the ministry of the word of God be neglected. So as we get to know the word of God, the people, the events, the principles, the character, the person of Jesus Christ. And we get to know the depth of the love of God. We know all the things that go into the scriptures, all the things that God wants to teach us. We get to know the infinite power of God, the matchless love of Christ, the destructive power of sin, the horribleness of hell. We get to know all of those things. And so, as we know all of those things, as as we keep pouring them into our being, then we start being shaped according to the scriptures. We start thinking that way. We start understanding things from a righteous point of view, which was something that I saw as a young adult. I saw it just change my whole outlook and my whole viewpoint. And all this is why the Apostle said they can't allow anything to take away from the ministry of the Word. Now, most of us have probably seen people we know turn away from God's Word, turn away from God's people, turn away from the church. And what we see is not pretty. Usually their lives are starting to just go downhill. And oftentimes it's because they're going downhill that they turn away. But in verses 3 and 4 here, we have the apostles given the answer. It says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group And then we'll go on from there in a minute. Now, they say choose seven men who can take on this task of making sure that everybody gets fed. That sounds like a great idea because, you know, when they give the people the the responsibility of choosing the people, they already know who, who they can be trusted, who can be trusted, and how responsible they are. And so they're the ones who do the work because they know the people. The apostles probably don't know the people that well. So you have them doing the groundwork, and then the apostles, they will officially appoint them because the apostles are still the leaders of the group. So they choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, let's say you want to choose someone to do something in the church. Or you want to ask someone to do something extremely important for you or a family member, close friend. Something that, you know, is is so important. It's spiritual in nature maybe or takes on spiritual wisdom or, or just has to be done the right way or it has to be done faithfully. What does it mean that someone is full of the Holy Spirit? We'll go back there when it says, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. What does it mean that someone is full of the Holy Spirit? Because you see, these people had come into the faith and they had already accepted Christ and they did have the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean when you're looking for somebody amongst Christians who is full of the Holy Spirit. Well, it basically means you want someone who is serious about their relationship to God. And you know, we can have Christians that aren't that serious, who who have the Holy Spirit because they've come to Christ for forgiveness, and maybe aren't that serious about serving the Lord. But the apostles say, choose seven men who are serious about their life with God. You want someone whose life reflects a respect for God and his word, someone who lives their life to honor God. And you know, as we see our nation today, just moving further and further away from God, that shows you how important it is for us to stay near God to live our lives to honor God and when people say there isn't a God or it doesn't matter then things really start going downhill he also says choose someone you know who's full of the, full of the spirit but also full of wisdom wisdom is being able to think through things carefully and being able to to, to separate the non essentials from the essentials. Wisdom is being able to prioritize and make decisions with clear thinking. People that use wisdom can overcome the, uh, obstacles, work through problems. One definition for wisdom that comes from the Bible and how it's used in the Bible is skillful living. Living life with skill. It's someone who knows how to make good choices. They know how to navigate difficult times. They know how to go through difficult terrain. And the closer someone's walk is with the Lord, the wiser they become. And that's what happens when you know you're into the word. You become wiser. You learn more about the Lord. You learn how to handle things. You learn how to control yourself. Now look what the people thought of this plan. They turned the responsibility over to them. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Timon. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So this matter of making certain the Hellenistic widows were not overlooked turned out pretty good, didn't it? And I believe that we can commend the apostles for this victory the apostles were the ones who took the initiative to bring everybody together and come up with a plan. And, of course, before that, during this time since the church started, the apostles were the ones excuse me, who endured the beatings, who boldly preached the gospel of Christ, who ended up spending time in prison for their boldness. They had to go before the Jewish high court which had the ability to imprison them and whip them and everything. And they testified before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, boldly. And they told them they wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. They obeyed the Lord after they were in prison. They'd been beaten and put in prison. And the Lord let them out. And he said, now go back to the temple and start preaching again. And they did it. That's just where they got caught the last time and got put in jail. So all of that the apostles were doing to serve the Lord, they were taking on the leadership. They were taking all the risk. They were taking all the punishment. And this really is, you know, why the church succeeded so well in that time. But then, you know, we also have the people. We have the people who bravely come to Christ when they knew it would cost them. And how they listened to the apostles when the apostles gave them their advice. And how they looked up to the apostles because Jesus chose these apostles. It just seems from the reading that there was this positive spirit of corruption and trust. (laughs) I mean, cooperation and trust. (laughs) I get getting used to saying corruption so much <clears throat> these days. <laughs> but I see this in the first century church. You see the brave apostles, the leaders, who are willing to take the risk, are willing to take a beating, go back out, obey God no matter what. You see the people who are, who are listening and, and obeying and, and doing the things that they're being told to do. And not that it was a slavish thing. It was just a thing that, you know, it was making the church work. It was making the faith rich. It was doing what God wanted them to do. And they took, they had people in authority over them in their spiritual lives. And they did it willingly. And we know how it can be if you're in a group and just one person, you know, always wants to, test everything, always wants to question everything, always wants to go their own way. It's not that that can't ever happen, but if somebody just keeps doing it all the time, that just kind of throws things in in the pathway, doesn't it? It kind of stops things from getting done. And so we have this cooperation among these early Christians, and things make, you know, they go forward, and it makes a difference. And people are served. And the problem is solved. And they had this problem solved, you know. They, they, had, they had people not being fed. They took it to the apostles. The apostles gathered everybody. They came up with a solution. Everybody followed the solution. It worked. And I think really the biggest problem that churches and groups and schools and families have to deal with I think the reason that it doesn't always happen that way if you come right down to it I think the reason for almost anything bad is selfishness. It's just getting into ourselves too much instead of thinking of others. And we have that sinful nature don't we? I mean we come to Christ it's so helpful for us, but yet we still have that sinful nature that hasn't been totally washed out yet until, until Christ comes back. And <clears throat> we can all be that way if we stop looking to the Lord and just looking to ourselves, into ourselves to please ourselves. I was listening to this longtime pastor who would also speak at marriage conferences regularly. And he and his wife had a very rocky marriage for several years in their marriage, until they received some help. And then they were able to turn their marriage around because they listened to good counsel, you know, counsel, Christian counsel. And then they, then they started having this wonderful marriage. And he was speaking at a conference, and a woman came up after he spoke, Just to ask him a question about problems they were having she and her husband were having and she went on and on about how bad her husband was what he wouldn't do what he did do and he finally stopped her and he said do you know what the problem is and she said yeah it's his selfishness and he said no it's your selfishness and she goes what He said, we're all selfish. That's the problem. We all look into ourselves first. And it's when we can look outside of ourselves. But the main problem in marriage and everything is just selfishness, isn't it? So many times. We just have that tendency. That's just what... That's how we automatically react a lot of times. But you see, the more that we're in the Word of God, the more that we gain an understanding of what the scripture is saying and why it's saying it and how it explains it and what happens when we follow the right way the more we get into just the the whole atmosphere of the word of God and what's happening and and why things are being said the more we take on that that attitude of looking outside of ourselves and, and learning to help others, and not thinking just of ourselves first. And it's just a transformation that happens, isn't it? And I know a lot of you here are in all different kinds of places in your Christian life, but it just we always have to be doing that, don't we? We always have to be countering our selfish desires. It's the human condition. And it'll be here until one day when Christ comes... We're all cleansed. And we're all thinking like Christ. And we're looking forward to that day, aren't we? But it all starts with looking outside of ourselves, right? And if we can get outside of ourselves, then our marriages, our families, our workplaces, our churches would just rise to the top. So many churches have so many problems, right? This church, I'm in love with this church, because we have so many good people here that don't fight against everything. And so we have mature Christians here. And so I'm really thankful for that, because we've been in other situations. So the more we can think outside of ourselves, have the scriptures flowing through us, and think of others, the better, the happier, the more we'll get done and bring people to the kingdom. And so let's end now with our last verse. So the word of God spread, and and again, we're, we're thinking of the people accepting what the apostles said and just acting on it. The, the word, the, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wow. Even the priests, the Jewish priests. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this example. And these examples in the book of Acts of how it went in the early church, and even the things that they had to stumble over and things they had to address and the the way that they did it, the leadership that they had, those who were willing to suffer, those who were willing to follow, those who were willing to obey. Teach us, Lord, how to be like that, how to become more like that, and how to have just joyful times with our brothers and sisters and reach out to others who need you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that takes your word and applies it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.